Pod on the Dog. I'm your host, Verity Harcastle, and you can find me at Verity Harcastle on Instagram. You might be out walking your dog, in the car, or pottering around at home, but whatever you're doing, thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this podcast is proudly sponsored by Butternut Box, a brand I love for many reasons. Butternut Box is a freshly cooked dog food delivery service that delivers straight to your door and takes into consideration all of your dog's dietary needs. Butternut Box genuinely care about dogs and they believe that good enough for the dog is simply not good enough. Dogs deserve better. Their meals are comprised of quality meat, vegetables, lentils, vitamins and minerals and don't contain any grain, wheat, gluten, corn, soya or sugar all of which have been known to cause intolerances in our dogs. If you would like to try Butternut Box for your dog, you can get 50% off your first and second box with the link butternutbox.com forward slash Verity Hardcastle. For today's episode, I am joined by a poodle legend, a man who not only trains his dogs, he's a professional handler, groomer, he's traveled the world showing and grooming to such a high standard. So I'm really delighted to welcome Philip Langdon. Hi, Philip. Hello. (laughs) Firstly, tell me where you're talking to me from. I'm talking to you from my kitchen in Bristol. (laughs) What's the weather like there today, Sunny? It's actually quite grey and overcast, but we've had a bit of sunshine. Yeah, we need some rain, don't we? It's been so Yes, yes, we do. So So tell me something about yourself that we don't actually know. Like, do you moonlight as a semi-professional gymnast or do you have a secret passion for fishing? Like, what don't I know about you? Um, uh, What don't you know? Um, Well, my career from, I was horse mad as a child. And right up until sort of like my late teens, early 20s, I was a keen horse rider, horseman, whatever you want to call it. So my first three jobs out of school were with horses. And that was like my my passion in life, horses. I had my own pony when I was a child. Um, Then I worked in a show yard with in-hand ponies and show ponies. Then I worked in a hunt yard, looking after the hunt horses and the hounds. That was a very um, grounding experience. I can imagine. And then I went to work with show jumpers. And after that, I was like, if I'm ever to make any money or have anything in this life, I need to do something else. Yeah, yeah. So... That's something that not everybody knows. So I come from a I come from a horsey farming type background. But I suppose that beginning really gave you a fundamental sort of understanding for movement because you would be, especially working with the the show horses, you would yeah. learn an awful lot, weren't you? I would say animal husbandry, as they call it. Mm. It was a great ground. I mean, dogs are you know. I know we tend to humanise them and dogs, but at the end of the day, it's an animal and, you know, it's care and how you look after it. It's all the same thing from looking after a dog to a cow, really. I mean, obviously, a cow doesn't live in the house, but, you know, it's it's health and welfare, it's diet, not so much as exercise with a cow, maybe, but certainly... <laughs> I get you know, to that, don't it's learning to look after an animal correctly mm. and it goes across the board. Yeah. You know, some are more high maintenance. The horses certainly were. 
but um you know and now the dogs are but it teaches you it's a good grounding for animal husbandry looking after your dogs and we we did go for the most high maintenance of all the dogs to be fair yeah i actually started like or started my show career with afghan hounds um when i first started the you know the entries were like 300 plus afghans at a show so they were my first breed that i mean i was totally like i think it's all about the hair yeah really so the afghans were my first breed that i actually showed and i used to travel to some shows with some poodle people that i got friendly with and this hairdressing they weren't very good, I'd say, some of it is that, but it fascinated me. And it wasn't long before I was like, can I have a go? And, of course, I was never allowed to really do anything. because, he... But eventually one decided, said she would teach me. So they taught me a, literally a basic lamb trim in one afternoon. Really? On a poodle. And, you know, you, I think you either take to it or you have a flair for it. And it just came quite easily. And then there was the thirst to learn. And it was within 12 months, I think, I was trimming their poodles for them. So, for so the that how you kind of got into the profession? Yeah. Was it through Afghans and then, you Started know... the Afghans. Um, not such a practical breed as the poodle because the poodle comes back when you let it off the lead. The Afghan disappears <laughs> to the next parish. So... <laughs> But just I, and I, I do love them. I, I still think one day maybe I should have another one. But, you know, you have to have the, the right facilities for them. Yeah. So anyway, so I sort of fell into the grooming because I, I'd learned this lamb trim. So and poodles were extremely popular back then. So yeah, they well, were they, like, you know, you need to you need to try grooming. So, you know, I I literally groom people's poodles for free because it wasn't really that good a job. But, you know, I, I it was one way of learning. And, you know, it took me all day to do a miniature poodle, but it was, you know, the way forward slowly got better. Yeah. But that's how I got into it. There were in, the early, they were, they were, in the early days, they were called poodle parlours, weren't they? They, oh yes, back in the day. Back in the day, back in the day. Before, even before my time, the, I mean, the poodles in the sixties were huge. This is why we have all these poodle clubs now. They're left over from the fifties and sixties. Oh, right. When you know you would go, I even I can remember going to an open show, Southwest Open Show, and there'd probably be about seventy or eighty poodles there at an open show in the three sizes. You know, you don't get that in all the sizes now. Mm. And that was just an open show. They're very popular, very popular. As If you can imagine poodles then were what French bulldogs are today. Everybody had one. And it was the celebrity thing as well. Like, we saw photos of Winston. Yeah, Trump I think a lot. Possibly. And also, I, I just think, you know, they were non-molting. You know, pop, they were just a very popular breed. Mm. So, and I sort of fell into the grooming bit by bit as I phased, as I stopped work. I, when I was started grooming, I was working with the horses still. 
And then, you know, I, I needed to earn some decent money because that was not going to happen with the horses. So I was doing a bit of grooming and then various dead-end jobs until I built a grooming app. So, so you've been grooming and showing, obviously, for some time now. So Oh, God, I started, it's got to be 40 years. Wow. Yeah. It all started, sort of went hand in hand. Mm. At least 40 years. And obviously the profession must have changed from when it started out for you. Like, you must have seen... The grooming profession. Yeah. And showing, like both. Well, you know, the grooming, I mean, gosh, we had JDS or Hexacell or what was the other one we used to use? There was one called Marot, it's an Aubrey, Uh the shampoos. Um, Or you just kind of use something you've got off the shelf in boots, you know. There were no blasters, so everything was towel dried and then, you know, you stood it in front of a dryer to cook. (laughs) And they were all Simpsons Super Jets. There was no, I don't, I certainly had Super Jets. Mm-hmm. The, short, the green one with a little short nose that, mm-hmm. you know, basically was like a fan heater on stand. <laughs> Very hot. <laughs> you know, and brushes were universal or universal. Yeah. Were, no others. You got yourself a Spratt's comb and scissors came from the chemist. You know, there were no, there wasn't equipment as such. Yeah. You know, back then, so it, it was very, you know, an, an insular industry. Everybody, there were, I don't know how, what the grooming parlors were like, but I mean, certainly the people I knew were just grooming on the kitchen table virtually. So, how did you get into grooming competitions then? Because I know that you know the ladies like Joe and Zoe who trained me. Right. Uh, then, right. I can remember, I mean, once again, it's competitive, it's being competitive. Yeah. I remember reading in the dog world, I think it was, I can't remember, maybe it was Pat Hutton or somebody way back in the, because when I, when I first started to get interested in the competitions, they were running heats up and down the country and you had to qualify for Groomer of the Year. Mm. through a heat, if I remember correctly. Joe would know more. Anyway, um, and I remember seeing this in the paper, this woman, whoever, I'm sure it was Pat Hutton, someone like that, had one groom of the year. And I said, you know, I'm going to do that one day. And I entered my first competition in 19... I was the first ever Eurogroom which is no longer, doesn't happen anymore. I think it was around 1990 or 91. And that's the first competition I entered. And I was so scared. I was just like, I think I clipped one foot on the poodle. I was like, I can't do this, can't do this. <laughs> and in the end, I was like, you know, just treat this as like you're doing this at home. And yeah. I did, did this scissored lamb, as I said, I was, you know, and I won the comp- I won the poodle class, and I think it was runner-up in the People's Choice, as they called it back then. I remember Michael Gray won the, with the best in show with the Kerry Blue, but it was about 1991, and then the bug bites. Yeah. 
and off you go. And I mean, once again, you know, I'm not one of just anything by house. It's like, right, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So we source the dogs. Grooming competitions now are very different. Back then, we source the dogs out of the salon. You know, you get a nice pet, something with a decent amount of hair, and then you would um, grow it, bath it, condition, you know, get it in shape for the competitions and, you know, go forward from that. Mm. So that's how I started in the competitions. So I think you have a competitive streak in you, Philip. Am I wrong? Very. You win or you learn. (laughs) (laughs) Great motto, to be fair. It is. You're obviously actually talking about that. You're doing so well in the ring at the moment, aren't you? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, like, you work obviously every day with dogs in the salon, but tell me more about the dogs you've got at home at the moment and... What, what are you doing with them? Currently, I have well, four toy poodles and two standard poodles. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm lucky that I co-own some, with some friends and they have theirs. But I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pet groomer. As I say, I'm a pet groomer. That's my, mm-hmm. business, my trade. That's my industry. Um, the show in is the shop window, I suppose, in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um but you know we've all got to wear a living so I am a pet groomer but we also you know the I have my toys at home the two standards but because I travel a lot to the shows I have to kind of be careful with the numbers I mean the dog sitters can only look after so many I've no desire poodles don't do well in kennels I don't think they know they need to be around you so you know it's just keep a nice number of dogs yeah so i'm i know not everybody does it but i'm a great believer like the client comes and says oh you know my dog's passed away and i'm like i've got one here that would just suit you and the dog's always pleased to see me and they're pleased to see their new owner yeah and it helps to keep the number and you know it's someone you already know and built a relationship with so so i have four toys and two standards it's really hard, isn't it, trying to be competitive, remain competitive in the show ring and, you know, not to start collecting dogs. Very, so very. It's definitely a tightrope that we have to walk. Yes. I mean, I think people could condemn me for, like, you know, if they don't make the grade, then I'll find them a nice home. Mm-hmm. Because it costs as much to keep a good one as it does a bad one, which sounds quite harsh, I suppose. But I, I, you know, I live in a in a house in the city. I cannot have twenty dogs. Yeah. I want twenty dogs. I don't think you can give them that amount of attention. And poodles are a little bit on the needy side, or mine seem to be. So. Well, mine, know, mine definitely are, Philip. So. So you know, you you need to be able to give them that amount of attention, and you know, I want they're all bath every week. I have got the eldest one yeah. here. She's fifteen. You know, and the youngest is 14 months. Well, the very young one is a standard. She's 10 months. But so some, you know, the toys tend to stay a bit. But the standards, you know, a couple of friends have got them, you know. Yeah, they're, they're a lot of dog, aren't they? They are a lot of dog. Yeah, it's a lot of dog, yeah. 
Obviously, yeah. it's a lot to juggle as well for you. you. You work hard, you're running your business, you're having to manage your home life. You're obviously showing like nearly every week. Well, I'm, I'm very lucky that I have a de- well, I have a cleaner, so that's a, that's a good thing. Oh, that's a cleaner. Adult, the house would be a mess. Um, and she doubles as a dog sitter, but I also have another friend who's a dog can sit as well. Mm-hmm. So I have a good sort of, you have to have a backup team to this. Yeah. But, what I do before, I, when I was much younger, you know, you, I could groom all day in the salon and then turn around and do the show dogs in the evening. Now I tend to take it the, at least the afternoon, if not the day off, yeah. before a show to get the dog ready. I don't have that energy for that kind of thing. Philip, I don't have the energy for that sort of thing. No. <laughs> You know, I get to four o'clock and I'm like, put my sisters down, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I, I wish I could be like that. But it's, yeah, usually I take the day off before a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to make life easier. Otherwise, it's not enjoyable. You've been. No, no. I, you know, it's finding, I decided I needed to take this time, not clip or groom six dogs, then put my stabber cooler in the bath. I was like, no, my dog has to come first. So I'm going to do. One day less. Yeah. Less do now. You're happy. You're more chill. Yeah, yeah. Much, much easier. Much Definitely. easier. And also, you're a bit like me. I mean, we're straddling the country here. So shows yeah. tend to be quite a trek for both of us, right? Yes. I mean, most are quite within a couple of hours. Mm. Um, but I've had the most incredible year with Jake, you know, and... That, as a lot of the time, meant going, you know, if we were showing on Friday, then I have to drive back again on the Sunday. I am not complaining, but it then takes up a lot of, you know, then I have to fit my grooming and my clients in between. So, you know, it's like sometimes I have to work Saturday and Sunday just to keep home life going. Yeah. it's not yeah, awesome. but at least you're flying up and down the motorway with a big grin on your face most of the time. Yeah. Right? It, yes, like I say, I'm not complaining. It but it, it's like it's not all glittery clothes and bestie show rosettes. No, <laughs> you know, I judged at Bournemouth on Monday. I was judging Bichons, mm. and I got up at five o'clock in the morning to just take the dogs out. You know, exercise. So they were exercised before I set off at six for the dog show. So, so we know you take the day off work generally to get your dogs ready for a show, and obviously yeah. you get up super early to make sure your dogs are exercised. What, yeah. what other things? What's in your regime, your training regime for your show dogs? Um, well, they. I mean, they. I do a lot. I do a lot with them, but I don't do a lot with them. I. I mean, I'm not one. For, once they. You know, I take them to puppy truck. Once I've got them going on the lead, which is usually the, in the back garden, you know, mm. get them going. I take them to puppy training and they go until, you know, they, they've got the hang of it and then they don't need to go anymore. Or I'll take them now and then. I'm not a great believer in showing six-month-old puppies. I mean, you know, I think they need a bit of a life beforehand. Um, so once they're sort of, socialized and able to do it then they don't go as much but they go out in the car we go out to the countryside for walks things like that I'm you know if I've got the time and I'm home but once they're doing it you know they just 
um, maintain, let's say. Yeah. I'm but, a bit like that. I'll sort of, you know, even when it's dinner time, I'll just give them a quick look, do a quick yeah. stand, you know, like yeah. reaffirming. Yeah. Sort of yeah. Yes, you know, I pick them up, you know, they're bathed. As I say, they get bathed. So when I pick them up, I bath them, dry, you know, stand them up. They learn to stand on the table. I, I'd like to teach them to be table trainers because there are times when you've got to walk away. I mean, you've got to walk away to the next room, but you've got to walk away from the table. Yeah. So it's nice to know that it's not going to fly off the table. Yeah. Um, you know, disappear into the ring or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, they they learn. Yeah, definitely. Something that obviously we can't do with clients' dogs, um, but I you know, say I would say 90% of my client dogs are table trained and back trained. But I wouldn't I, trust them. I always, I never use any restraints. Like, no, I, I don't. Like that. I mean, I was, I was trained old school, so it's just, yeah. you know, just train the dog to stand on their own accord, etc. Yeah. But I still wouldn't trust them. <laughs> I for some so I, I keep the lead on just so you know they got that feeling. Oh, I can't jump off. I've got. I would say ninety percent. I know the ones that I need to put a noose on. Yeah, but most of them wouldn't. No, and I what I I mean my method of working is you know if I'm bathing and condi- I put conditioner on one mm-hmm. and it sits in the bath and waits the conditioner while I'm blow drying something else and I'll, yep. I'll just sit there. I don't. I've, I've never used new. Well, I do use a noose, you know, if I need to. I never use belly straps. No, I just, no. So I just must. I don't know if I'm lucky. A lot of people comment when they come. And they're like, "Oh God, well, your dogs just sit on the table." Yeah. Maybe it's me. I don't know. But <laughs> giving them the so eyeball. <laughs> You're giving them I all the eyeball. You know, I mean, I can go off and answer the phone. And I'll just sit there. Yeah, great. I mean, that's for those of people who don't know, a noose is like a grooming lead that we put around yeah. the necks. Just we don't have it tight. It's just for no. sake. Yes. They feel that like they're on a lead, so they're not going to, you know, have the inclination to jump off. It's um, the second or third hand, let's say. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Uh, also, with your with your training your dogs, you've got me hooked on by my bike. Oh yes, right. You know, this is the other thing: now. condition. Mm. conditioning the dogs it's not just about looking pretty it's you know mentally you know I think as I'm this year alone I mean I've probably been to what 20 odd shows because we're in that sort of compact in that competition part and you know that they need to I mean I cycle the standards at least 30 40 minutes every morning that's it's not like racing gallop, but a steady trot. They get their pace. We do it on the recycle track. And, you know, we just, as well, maybe five out of seven days we'll cycle. Yeah. So um, I think I've been so good. To my, so my, good. It is good. That pavement pounding, I've always been told, is really good for muscle. Yeah. Yes, and then. I've been taking my miniature male out because he just need he goes out with a dog walker as well. I walk him, but he just needs so much more than my girls. Yeah, yeah. he's just, yeah, he just needs I a find lot. the energy level goes up. Mm. The energy level and you know, you get they're more athletic. Yeah. I actually gave somebody critique at Premier Groom. Um mm. 
because there's nothing quite worse than they had a standard poodle and I was obviously going over the haircut and the dog's back end was so there was just no muscle there and that just yeah. you know and so I, I did gave them the critique that you know mm. apart from odd bits and bobs I just said you know you need to get this dog out because and she yeah. was like oh yeah I've not been able to walk it that much recently and I was like but it's not doing the dog any justice you can no tell. not at all you know get a dog walker if you can do it yeah exactly you know. That's that's why I've got one because this, this I've got yeah. I've got oldies and little and, and I can't walk them all together. So and then no. I sometimes I can't find the time to do two separate lots of exercising every day, you know, on top of everything else. So I just get a dog walker. Yeah. Well that's the thing. I mean get a dog walker. I mean the little even the toys, they go for a walk, they don't go as far. Mm. They rarely get well, they only ever get put on a lead if they're going to the show and that's only one of them nowadays. Mm. But um you know, they 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 enjoy going and they need the stimulation in their you know, yeah. the mind and things like that. So yes, I'm a big one on exercise. Yeah, absolutely. I remember my I remember said to me, because she never used to walk a dog. She I mean she had a beautiful like two acre garden, but she never yeah. used dogs. And I remember saying to her, as they used to like stare in the corner, like ever so slightly bonkers. Uh-huh. You know, what about taking the dogs out and things like that? Oh, the fact they've got all the garden to play in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about the mental stimulation? Dogs like to sniff. Yeah, they exactly. Sniff. They need to, you know, see I, things, meet I other think dogs. our understanding of animals mm. is much better now than it was 30 years, 40 years ago. Much better. When I think back, I was like, oh, my God, well, why did we do that? I mean, you know, now... You you know we realise a lot more. Mm. I think it's a much better understanding. So talking about looking back, as we know, obviously trimming styles change, show styles change as well, don't they? Like, how do you keep up to date with your trimming styles? Like, do you look anywhere in specific? Is there a country? Non-stop, all the time. You have to keep your mind open. Yeah. Uh, Travel if you can do it and get the opportunities, uh, which I'm or I'm a great one for taking an opportunity. So it's got me all over the world. Um, you know, you go to America. America is probably at the forefront with the presentation, especially with the poodle. But it's it is kind of an anything goes country. I mean, you know, the the colours are not all. You know, they no. colour them. You know, I, can't their, their, um, I can't get on with their puppy trim, to be fair. No, but their puppy trim is actually, was quite common here up until probably the early 80s. It was, it's only a first puppy and I, I could still do that trim now. Most of them, if you see back in the 70s, would have been showing first puppy, mm. which is basically a very hairy version of what the Americans do. Then you get the second puppy, which everybody, everybody now calls puppy pants or, or Scandinavian, if you want, but it's not. Um, and that's the second puppy, which most are shown in, especially the bitches. Mm. And then, obviously, you've got your Continental and your English Saddler Lion. But travel, open your mind. And it's so, like you know, you go, you'll see... If you come away with one good idea, 
I mean, we don't have to be as scissor happy as the Americans. I mean, they scalp them. Um, you know, the Europe in Europe as well. You know, it's you need to just look out, look over the garden gate, see what's new. You know, and always be looking to make it better. I yeah. Think. Yeah. You know, it's never good enough, or it's never good enough for me. My view is very much I'm never quite 100% happy with anything that I do. I always feel I, like yeah. improvement. Yes. Um, learn the confirmation. You know, that it's very, it seems such a prickly subject here. I mean, sometimes I've judged in Europe, you have to, you literally are quite brutal with the critiques. Here, you, know, you can't do it like you can critique in Europe, but learn the construction of your dog. And no dog is perfect. If you've got a dog with upright front, first be able to recognize that upright front. And secondly, learn how to disguise it. Um, you know, a straight rear. Don't burst into tears because your dog's got a bad front or an upright front or a straight rear. You know, just figure out how to make it look like it isn't upright or straight. You know, so it's learn the construction. A lot of people, especially groomers, I mean, they, they can they can do a fantastic finish and they do a, a shape. It's, it's absolutely not in, it might as well be on any old dog. You know, it's not in balance with that dog. Yeah, so, so it's like tailoring the haircut to knowing dog you're putting yeah. if you've got a long and low dog scissor it off each end and off, off underneath to make that dog you know shorter and higher it, it's moving shapes around mm. um so learn the construction and all oh, keep your mind open look at don't look at it and go look at it and go oh you know it's you can learn so much yeah that's great advice yeah, I, uh, it's different doesn't make it bad. What we also find, uh, what I've also found is um, when I'm looking at, you know, it's all right taking a photo, or whatever. But what's really handy is if somebody would just do a little video of you when you're moving your dog in the ring, and then you can see how your hair oh, yes. looks like when it's on the move, because you might realise that that leg hair's flippy flopping around too much and distracting mm. from, you know. Well, that's one of the things I do at home is I will put them on the ground after I've finished trimming them. Mm -hmm. If it's dry enough, I can, you know, I'll just take them in the lane a little bit, let them, so as they move away from you and you can see for yourself there and then. Yeah. And then stick it back up on the table and maybe have another little snip here and there. Yeah. You know, once they get down, shake themselves out. And of course they look very different on the floor to what they do on the table. So with the standards, I'll drop the table down or I put them down on the floor in the yard and mm. let them walk around. And they might stand there with a cup of coffee and have a watch. But definitely videos. As, yeah. You know, that we video, I use video a lot. Yeah, because it's weird. It almost sometimes points out things that you can't even see with your own eyeballs. It's so strange. Yeah. It, it's quite strange if you, I mean, we video at a dog show. Okay, well, not so much now, but on occasion we video. And suddenly you realise why you were second in the class, that you were esteeming, that you think you should have won it. Mm. You know, and you're like, mm, well, maybe I'd have done the same. You know? 
it, it's, it's definitely, once again, you have to be open and criticise yourself. Oh, 100%. I used to have the most annoying um, left hand that would just yeah. move far too much Very as I was moving around. Nice. And I then I'd watch a video of myself and I'm like, how irritating do I look, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I especially, I mean, I like, if I can't get to PCA, I will pay for the live stream. And watch, especially, I mean, standards are obviously my first size in love, so I will watch the standards. And you can just see and learn so much just watching the live stream. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's inspirational to go to those shows or go to the world show. I mean, to see the crazy Europeans. I mean, I love them dearly, but they run like hell with the dog. You know, it's like, not really like that <laughs> but you you can pick stuff up from across the world and you make yeah. it your own mm. it's definitely what's just sitting and watching has been yes, something, yes. not just people handling but you know watching amazing groomers like yeah, yeah. That's preparing, you know, your dog for the show ring, just being able to sit there and watch your routine or how you might yeah. stand in a certain way to get this angle, which you might not have even thought yeah, about. Exactly, yes. Yeah. You know, and I also think sometimes, you know, I'm sure you, you know yourself, you pick up the scissors and it's chop, 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 and it looks amazing. And then there's another day you pick up the scissors and it just isn't happening. Be prepared for the de- those days, I think, where you just have to, like, that looks all right for today because this isn't working, because you end up with a bold dog if you keep scissoring. Oh, yeah, I've done that. You know, and probably... So what, finish and all of a sudden I've got two little cocktails. Exactly, there's nothing <laughs> left. You know, sometimes you just have to put the scissors down and think, well, it's not working today, mm-hmm. rather than end up with a bold dog. You just have to, like, maybe pat it into shape. Yeah. <laughs> Lick and, lick and stick, that was always my favourite. Yeah, bit, bit of spray and a pat, you know. Yeah. But it, 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 that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, sure. That's super interesting. Let's talk about coat maintenance. Um, obviously, it's such a huge part of our grooming regime. Tell me roughly what your week looking after a show coat sort of looks like. Show coats, right. Well, they all vary. Yeah. So you learn, it's learning your coats. At the moment, I have a white standard bitch puppy that is about going to coat change. She was bathed on Saturday and she was bathed again this morning. You know, so, and she's white. I cannot deal with matted dogs. I'd rather bath it every day of the week than to to um, be dematting. And I think once you start getting into this heavy dematting, it wrecks the hair. You know, you're pulling out, you know, breaking coat pulling out undercoat it just and it's not nice I can't I don't like it, you know I'm not saying mine never get knotted but occasionally but I you know keep them mat free so if you need to bath it twice a week then do it yeah. you sign up for a poodle you sign up for work if you don't want to do the work get a Labrador <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple (laughs) definitely I know what you mean about the different coat thing so yes like my has got such a soft it's so hard to get it you know to like straighten out when I'm wanting to get it ready for a for a show it's so different yeah so I mean they're all I mean I've got a cupboard full of 
every shampoo going. Mm -hmm. You know, um, some work better than others. I'm not a slave to a particular brand, but I use the the better brands, Mm -hmm. let's say. Um, And some work, you know, there's what I call a maintenance bath would be a heavier moisturizing conditioner, a heavier conditioner and shampoo. So, but it would make it too soft and it, you probably wouldn't get that crispiness with those shampoos and conditioners, but they grow hair and they keep it a little bit softer and, you know, you wrap it up. Mm-hmm. I, I wrap the necks with bands and um, the wraps. Um, you have to train the hair to do that. So it's a bath. I mean, I'm not fussed about blow drying it dead straight for maintenance bath. You know, on a nice day, the palms might have dried for themselves by the time I got to them, and I just quickly blast and brush them, and that's it. It doesn't have to look pretty for maintenance, but it has to be clean and matte-free. And then, obviously, with the with the wrapping of the neck, which takes forever when you start. And then I can do it now probably 10, 15 minutes wrap a standard, you know, it's number one, teach the dog to lay down with its on a cushion and then teach the coat or train the coat. My top tip I was given about wrapping is you have to make sure your sections are super. Absolutely spot on. Any zigzag and you'll cause a mat. Exactly. They so, have to be neat, neat, neat. Very. So that's where you start. You know, that's the that's the bit that takes the time to start while, while you're getting the hang of it. I mean, some people are like, oh, I'm never going to master this. Mm-hmm. You keep it up. I mean, when I first started, it would take me over an hour. Oh, I'd be there with my little tiny yeah. um, tail comb. Now I can just do it with a normal yeah. cat. I can do it while I'm watching TV when I chat to someone else. You know, it's just... Oh. I could do it with my eyes shut. I'm sure I'm, I'm definitely getting faster, but yeah. it's, I, I, it's, it's not don't aim for speed, it's aim, aim for accurate. If you do it properly, then it lands and they don't match up. If you do it half heartedly, don't do it properly. So it's better to take time yeah. and do it. So, do you oil so, on a maintenance? Uh, I try not to because if you use the oil, it tends to once you start washing it out then it mats even worse mm-hmm. so i have done it was a great thing i mean in the early part of my show career we oiled but you know within a day they were matted solid mm-hmm. you know it just i i don't and i think nowadays shampoos and conditioners have moved on so much mm-hmm. that you don't really need to oil them down they're you know phenomenal to what we used to have. I can remember Whoopi Magic Oil was one of, was like the brand of the eighties, probably that we lumped everything in, and the dandruff and the scarf and the scratching. It was like and thirteen baths to get it back out again. <laughs> it's like rubbing lard into the coat. <laughs> So things have moved on, but yeah. I'm great. You know, good shampoo, good conditioner. I'm not a slave to one particular brand. I use across the brands, which mm-hmm. they'll probably kill me for. But a lot of them do good. They're good products, and mm-hmm. some are better than others. Yeah. So, 
and I've got a cupboard full of it. Well, that's it. But like me, I've got a cupboard full as well, and it's just trial and error, isn't it? To see well, what everything. It's different. also about what water you have. You might have hard water yes. or soft water in your Definitely. area. Yeah, you need but, to you know, think about what that is. Life, life stages the coat, like my little brown toy. You know, she's fourteen months. Her hair's different. I can't put those. He- you know, I can't put those heavy shampoos on her because it just looks like a Maltese. But yeah. they work well on the standards. Um, my 10-month-old is now going into coat change, needs sort of like a slightly greasier shampoo or one that's going to leave slight residue, you know, to, to, just to get that extra day out of it. Where, you know, and then, so those are the maintenance baths. And for the show baths, it's a totally different ballgame. You know, totally, you need everything yeah. to, you know, take everything out first. So if, they're being shown a lot, then they don't tend to get that maintenance bath. They just go from show to show. After a show, when you've finished and you'll take your dogs home, do you just wash out the mane or do you wash the whole dog? Um, well, the standards I'm lucky with that I teach them to lay on their side. Oh, I watch the, once again, I watch this in, in America, they do it with two washing up bowls. But what I do here is I jack my hydraulic table up beside the bath and they lay on the side and you just wash the top of the mane. So the head's like in the bath and the body. Yeah. So they were literally, if you can imagine like the backwash in a salon, hair salon. Yeah. They you could it, they they learn it fairly quick. Yeah. And I can get the, just wash the, the neck hair and the top knot. And then they're not having that I use like I'll use a lacquer removing shampoo on the top lot, mm-hmm. you know, quick shampoo, a bit of conditioner, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. And then get it dry. Yeah. So that's so clever. Uh, how do you stay positive and driven, obviously, after working with dogs for so long? Well, you get downtimes with it. But I'm a breeder, essentially. I I love, I still love dog grooming. That's just, you know, that's my job. I love it. I don't, uh, you know, you get days where you think, oh, I don't want to do this. But I, as a pet groomer, I still love it. I'm over the grooming competitions. You know, I, that's done. I, I don't need to do that anymore. No. Um, for the show world, it's, produ- you know, I, I'm a breeder, so... I don't breed prolifically. I breed when I want to keep something. Mm. And it's it's basically already, you know, I'm halfway through the year with this dog who's doing phenomenally. But I also have this 10-month-old puppy that is going to be coming out toward the end of the year. But at the same time, I'm still thinking now the bitch I had in for breeding today is mine and I'm going to be breeding her next year. That's going to produce the next generation on from the 10-month. So it's... That's creating. Cycle, it, yeah. It's what can I do? Yeah, it's just uh, I, I'm a breeder, really. I mean, I love the showing. It showcases what you're capable of. The winning is obviously the icing on the cake. I'm not a record chaser or any of that. I'm not interested in any of those things. I think it's like okay, so we've done this, and this dog has reached its potential with this. Now, what are we going to do? Yeah, you know, it's on to the next one. 
So um, you're, not, you're not chasing 100 cc's? No, no, I don't. I see no point to that. See, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it personally does the breed any good. And, you know, come on, let's get on and see what else we can produce. Yeah. You know, do you want to be a one hit wonder? Yeah. Yeah. So that, I'm already like two gen. I'm already thinking now the next generation all after the puppy that I've got. So. Well, I can see how that would keep you motivated. Because yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And, often, time, and I don't concentrate my efforts. You know, we're very hands tied here in England with the, the pet passport and the, the especially, you know, with the aeroplane, you know, we can only, the cheapest way to do anything is through the tunnel or the ferries. Mm. You know, in Europe, you can fly pet in cabin, so you can stuff your toy poodle under the seat. Or, you know, if you take your standard poodle or a bigger dog, they can go as excess baggage. So, you know, it's much easier for the people in Europe to show in other countries. Yeah. But that's always been a big interest to me is... You know, this dog that I'm showing now, I'll show in Europe next year. I'm not going to go every week, but I will go to some of the major shows. So that's, I just don't keep my eye in England or my hand in England, should I say. Mm-hmm. Look, look elsewhere, elsewhere. And then by doing that, we're going back to looking for new styling, yeah. the rest of it. It's like, a, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's the thing. It's like, you know, with different people, new techniques. Yeah. yeah. And the fun bit about going to Europe is like Europe, and a lot of them are, especially the world shows, are quite chaotic. <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on. So, because they do these sassives and reserves, and their dogs are shown in colours and one thing or another. So it's all a little bit crazy. Everybody's ready to go when the steward says your number type of thing. Yeah. Um, so that adds to the fun of it. It's, you know, I enjoy going elsewhere. That's what keeps, you know, keeps going. And if not, I can all, and I mean, judging elsewhere in the world is keeps you motivated. Or just going. Like I was at the World Show in Madrid, I didn't show or judge, but I just went to watch. Yeah. And it's the motivation there. I think it, I think there's nothing more rejuvenating than going somewhere like that. Yeah. It to get you to back. You know, sometimes you come back and you think, really? I don't think you lot are really worth taking anywhere. Or sometimes you come back and think, gosh, I think I should take you to Europe, you know? <laughs> That's what keeps the motivation, I think. And the, and the fact that, you know, he's breeding the dogs. Now, obviously, I think anybody will agree with me in saying that you've obviously got a massive passion for your breed and that's, you yes. know, it's testament to you how- know, I, I love dogs across the board. I mean, I, you, I'm enough time in my life to own every breed and not every breed. I don't want to own every breed. But, you know, it, it's, I think I, I seeing a nice dog in any breed is always a thrill. But yeah. poodles are my passion. Yeah. Well, they're a bit special. Very. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. Philip can be found on Instagram at Philip B. Langdon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And please don't forget to rate and subscribe to Pod on a Dog. And if you'd write a review as well, that'd be amazing because it helps other people find this podcast. This podcast has been sponsored by Butternut Box, a fresh take on dog food. So for 50% off your first two boxes, make sure you visit that link 
buttonupbox.com forward slash Verity Hardcastle. That's a bye from me and Philip. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.